You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shoja. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shujai, and today we're talking about polite doggy behavior, or the lack thereof. And surprise, I've got a rant on that very subject. How does your dog act in public? Now, I'm a dog lover, and dog hair and puppy smooches won't send me into a tizzy, but for many people... Getting a cold nose in their assets or being jumped on, having a visiting pooch baptize their walls, all of that stuff leaves them howling mad. It's not just impolite, it's potentially dangerous if that little old lady gets knocked on her keister. If your dog isn't welcome, you may not be invited to spend time at the in-laws. Now, oh, wait a minute, maybe that's a good thing. Well, anyway, what burns me up is that these delinquent doggies and clueless owners spoil things for the responsible pet families. All it takes is one bad pet experience to have a hotel ban furry companions, for instance, or raise the rate so high nobody can afford it. I visited England some years ago, and in that country, dogs accompanied their owners everywhere in public places, even to restaurants. All of them seem to have impeccable manners. What do they know that we don't know? Why are so many dogs in this country rude, lewd, and socially unacceptable? Now, I'm delighted to welcome Lori Long to the show. She's a dog trainer, a writer, and author of the new book, A Dog Who's Always Welcome. So call your dog and tell him to listen up. We'll be right back with Lori Long after these messages from our sponsor. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pick up something unique at a Bone to Pick dog boutique. A Bone to Pick has cool hip fashions for big and small dogs that will have their tails wagging in style. Cat products too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Check out our eco-friendly pet products and gifts for humans too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Get your pet's mouth watering monthly with our Gourmet Treat of the Month Club. And join a Bone to Pick's free birthday club for your puppy. A-B-O-N-E dash to dash p-i-c-k dot com pick up something special for your best friend at a bone to pick a-b-o-n-e dash t-o dash p-i-c-k dot com get 10% off with coupon code petlife there's nothing like a shaggy dog baby they're shagatelic and this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. 
with your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. We're talking with Lori Long, a dog trainer and author of the new book, A Dog Who's Always Welcome. Welcome to the show, Lori. Thank you, Amy. I'm very glad to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Now, now, what I like to do first with guests is is have you introduce yourself to the audience. Just tell a little bit about yourself and what pets, what dogs, what possibly cats do you have in your home? Ah, well, I'd be glad to do that. Uh, I have been uh, training dogs uh, for uh, to uh, show in performance sports uh, my own dogs for over thirty years, and have been also conducting dog training classes at various levels uh, for pretty much the same amount of time. I've had uh, a number of different breeds of dogs. I've had poodles. I've had uh, Labrador retrievers. I've had cats in the home when I've had those dogs. And I've also now have three dogs in my home, two border terriers and one Pyrenean shepherd. So dogs and cats and animals have always been a part of my life for many years. Well, what, what are your dogs' names? Well, my oldest Border Terrier, who is uh, very soon going to turn 10 years old, her name is Dash, and I always like to think of dogs as kind of growing into their names when I name them, because I, I acquired her to, and uh, brought her into the family to be a um, dog agility competitor, and to run uh, the dog agility events, the um, uh, obstacle uh, uh, speed events with me, and she's certainly done a great job uh, of that over her lifetime. She's a master agility champion. Wow. And Yes, and uh, we've had a lot of fun with it, and she certainly has grown into her name. She is fast and like a little bullet, and so Dash suits her well. Uh, her younger brother, Border Terrier Chase, is uh, six years old, and my newest uh, family member is uh, Minnie. And she's a Pyrenean Shepherd, and I just got her four weeks ago, and she just is going to be turning one year old in about a week. Wow. Mini for a Pyrenean Shepherd. Now, describe that breed for our listeners. Well, that's a rather rare breed in the United States. Um, Currently, it has American Kennel Club recognition as a purebred dog in their miscellaneous group, which is where they start dogs that are just coming up in the United States and... uh, they're going to be moving to full recognition as a herding dog uh, in January of 2009. The Pyrenean Shepherds are a small French herding breed. They're much more common in Europe, in France, and Finland, where Minnie actually was born in Finland, and Germany, and, uh, and in the Pyrenean uh, mountain region of, uh, of France is where they principally have done their job of herding sheep and goats in the rugged countryside of the mountains between France and, and Spain. Exciting! Now, is she going to be um, one of your one of your dogs that you train to take with you everywhere? So she's going to be welcome. Of course, of course, she has <laughs> an she has an agility career ahead of her as well. And in order to work agility with me and to run agility with me, she has to be a take anywhere dog because we're going to be jumping in the car and 
driving off to a city we've maybe never been to before, staying in a motel room, going to a site where an agility competition is being held, where there are lots of dogs and people that she's never met before, judges standing in the ring while she's working, all of this, and she has to be able to um, handle herself properly under all these conditions that I'll be exposing her to throughout her life and still do her job, which is to run the agility course. And agility is an off-lead sport, so that means that she really has some, some self-discipline responsibilities in, in that she has to do her job off-lead in that very um, distracting and volatile environment. Well, I know that a lot of my listeners may not be into a a performance type uh, thing with their dogs. Maybe they don't take them to obedience trials or agility, but they still want to take them over to grandma's house. And what are some of the more common behavior no-nos that you've recognized that our dogs tend to indulge in? And maybe we let them get away with it. What are your pet peeves about dogs that are out and about and just not acting right? Well, well, certainly my pet peeves are that um, the dogs, many dogs have had some behavioral skills training. And in other words, they can perform certain behaviors like sit and down and stay and come when they're called, etc., which are very nice and contribute to their being a well-mannered dog. But they can do these things uh, at home. And many of my students in my beginner obedience classes have told me that these behaviors start to break down when they're not practicing them in their living room or in their den. And they maybe rent a house at the beach for, the, for a week in the summer and they want to take their dog with them, but all these nice manners and behaviors break down as soon as the dog travels to the beach or to maybe their uh, vacation condo or to visit with uh, their aunt and uncle who perhaps they themselves have a friendly dog in the house, but their dog, when they bring it, does not relate in a friendly manner to the dog whose home it is. And these behaviors that they've trained start to break down and the dog starts to exhibit antisocial behavior or exhibit a lack of social skills, not be- be- which then deteriorates the behavioral skills. So then it all comes tumbling down. And, the, and having the dog along with you in your life as your companion, which is why you got your dog in the first place, becomes more of a frustration than a happy experience. Right. I mean, you're always uh, thinking about, well, how am I going to manage this? I can't take him right. with me, and so I have to go home by a certain time to take him out, and it'd be easier, you know. If it, so I know that you also have... Uh, taken with your Labradors into nursing homes and some of the uh, therapy dogs, assistant dogs, some of these guys are trained specifically to be able to go out into public areas that, you know, I couldn't take my dog, for example. You know, they go with their human partner everywhere. And in fact, the law allows and requires that they be allowed to do this. But they have to meet certain standards. Am I right? What kind of standards do these dogs have to qualify for in order to be an assistance dog? And does that relate to how we can train our own family pets? Absolutely, Amy. That is right. They do have certain standards. But when you, and I talk about some of those standards in in my book, and when you read them, they're really not all that difficult. In order to maintain their rights of public access, Assistance dogs merely have to be well-mannered companions. They cannot uh, relieve themselves uh, in places that it's not uh, proper for them to relieve themselves. They cannot bark incessantly when they are with their 
uh, trainer or with their partner, uh, eventually their disabled partner. They uh, have to maintain, uh, stay within a certain distance of their partner. They can't go roaming 10 or 20 feet away. They have to stay within two or three feet of their partner. And they have to, uh, they can't jump on other people and you know, knock people over or rush up to children or do any of those things. They have to maintain some composure when they're out in public. And you'd think that these, these are very highly trained dogs, but really the social skills required for these dogs are rather basic and pretty much uh, the social skills that you would want your dog as a companion, even though they're not an assistance or therapy dog, to have when you have that dog out in public. And that's what inspired me to write this book because I saw a service dog. Uh, I was exposed to a service dog um, on a regular basis who was maintained her decorum and her composure in public and her behavioral skills in public very, very nicely and supported her partner uh, wonderfully. And I know how difficult that is for a lot of family dog owners, companion dog owners, to achieve that level of um, training with their dogs. So I went to the service dog trainers to find out how they did that, how they trained their dogs to maintain their social skills so nicely in multiple environments and settings, places where the dog may have never even been before. And those kinds of training techniques, I call them secrets because they're not very well known, and habits of training um, and training skills are what I try to outline in my book. Well, can any dog then be taught to meet these basic requirements, or or are are some dogs better suited than others? I mean, if you're looking to choose a puppy or a rescue dog to join your family, are there certain breeds or certain types of dogs that have a better politeness potential than others? Well, not every dog can be a service dog, so to speak, um, but every dog can be improved and made to be into the best companion or trained to be the best companion that he or she can be. And not every person really wants a service dog. For instance, I want a dog that's very high energy, very high drive, and that will compete with me in agility competitions. They'll need a lot of exercise, a lot of training. That Those dogs would not necessarily make good service dogs, but I certainly want them to have the same types of social skills, manners, and composure in public that the service dogs have. So I want my terriers and my shepherds who probably wouldn't make very good service dogs because of their other characteristics, to at least have the social skills that the service dogs have to be out in public with me as my companion wherever life may take us. It may take us on vacation or it may take us to a competition event. It may take us visiting relatives wherever. Um, I look at my lifestyle and I look at the dog that will complement my lifestyle. And I've I love agility competition, so I'm looking for a high-drive, high-energy dog. Um, And that's what I would advise anyone to do who is selecting a puppy or rescuing a dog, is to look at your lifestyle and try to improve your chances of success with that dog by selecting a dog that suits your lifestyle. If you love hiking in the summer and cross-country skiing in the winter, There's a Siberian Husky with your name written all over it, just waiting to be your (laughs) companion. If you like watching DVDs at night and curling up on the sofa, you know, there's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel that would love to be at your side for hours just being your companion. So if you select a breed or a dog that has characteristics that will improve the chances that they will succeed as your companion, that you'll have 
uh, a good relationship with each other, then that's a great start. Well, is it too late for your adult dog? Maybe you've got, you know, a five, six, seven-year-old juvenile delinquent dog that you just really can't take anywhere and you know when the the vet sees you coming they just throw up their hands and say oh my gosh clear the room here he comes is there t- <laughs> what are what are realistic expectations in these cases do you choose your battles do you just pick certain things and maybe you just decide well maybe with the next dog or you know how how do you evaluate that well i think every dog can be improved to take an older dog that has a history of unacceptable social skills and say that you're going to make them into a perfectly socialized companion that never needs any management in the future, I mean, that is unrealistic. But I think that every dog, no matter how old or uh, what their history, can be improved. And that is, that is what I would advise owners to do is make your dog the best companion he can be whatever that level of being the best companion is. And you get a side benefit from doing that kind of work, Uh, working the social skills training with your dog as well as the behavioral skills training. And that is it improves your relationship with your dog. Your relationship becomes much stronger. And so um, that is an area of improvement that helps you and your dog to perform better in society, so to speak, or to, to be more comfortable together in society as well. So there's a lot of side benefits to working the social skills training program. We have a lot more to learn about canine politeness, and I want to get into some of the specific socialization and training techniques that you can put to work with your dog today right after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Do you love your dog? Then you'll love feeding him mouth-watering, all-natural treats, lovingly handmade by a professional caterer who wanted the very best for her dogs. Make no mistake about it, these are not ordinary dog treats. These are doggy delights, like breakfast banana biscotti, honey bear peanut butter balls, yummy apple cinnamon mini cakes, and so much more. Your dog will howl in delight. And now you can get a scrumptious sample pack by going to dingersdogtreats.com. It's a $25 value, yours for just $9.95 through this special radio offer. That's D-I-N-G-E-R-S, dingersdogtreats.com. Every one of these gourmet doggy treats is handmade from the finest ingredients and taste tested on our own dogs. Your dog will love them. 
Get $25 worth of Doggy Delights now for just $9.95. Go to dingersdogtreats.com now. That's D-I-N-G-E-R-S, dingersdogtreats.com. Yum. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets with your paranormal pet's ghostly host, Dusty Rainbolt, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back and speaking still with Lori Long, an experienced dog trainer who has competed with her dogs in both obedience and agility. She's taught classes in both beginner and intermediate obedience and even trained her own dogs as therapy dogs so they'd be welcome in nursing homes. Welcome back to the show, Lori. Thank you, Amy. Now, before the break, I wanted to, to get back into a little about socialization. What is socialization? Why is this important? I know you outlined this in your book and... For the experienced dog owners that are listening out there, maybe they have an idea what it is, but what isn't it? Well, socialization is not an automatic process that um, if you just kind of take your dog with you places and let them hang around with you, that just kind of happens automatically. It's not an accidental process, which is what I learned from the service dog trainers. It's actually a training program similar to behavioral skills training. It's social skills training. And as you would train behaviors, as there's a lot of resource material available on how to train specific behaviors like sit and down and stay or even tricks like wave your paw or something, there's not an equal amount of material out there that talks about developing a training program for social skills, which is a dog's ability to manage their behavior in unique settings uh, around unfamiliar objects, around unfamiliar animals, around unfamiliar people without a deterioration of their behavior or their manners or their skills. And you achieve that by, by a constant exposure to environments that the dog will be living in, in his life with you as your companion, and teaching the dog how to handle themselves in those environments. So it's actually a managed process. It's a step-by-step process, just like teaching sit and down and stay is a step-by-step process. And also, just like with teaching behaviors where we're using positive reinforcements and, and positive techniques, we want positive outcomes with socialization. When we take our dogs out to socialize them and introduce them to new environments, we don't want them to be afraid, made afraid, or we don't want them to be um, pushed too fast or too hard. We don't want them to feel pressured. We want to make sure that we manage that process, treat it as any other training program, and that the, 
the outcomes that are positive for the dog. And it's certainly possible to make a mistake in that respect, just as it's possible to make mistakes in the way you teach your dog a specific behavior. It's possible to make a mistake in the way you socialize your dog to different environments. So the more information that I can put out there about how to do it in a managed, positive outcome way is going to improve everybody's chances of succeeding. Okay, so a socialization, you, you say you can make mistakes. If you make mistakes, though, those can be corrected, I assume. I'll give you an example, a quick example of one that I made. I had a Labrador retriever, a young puppy, and an older dog, and we used to take them to the lake every Saturday morning and Sunday morning for a swim, and the younger puppy was very reluctant to get into the lake, and I wanted her to swim. She's a Labrador retriever. She's a water dog. The older one was swimming like crazy. And I waited and I said, she needs to be socialized. She needs to get out there. She's going to be swimming. We own a boat. She's going to be out on the water. And so she just wasn't doing it. So finally, I just picked her up and I just threw her in the lake. Oh. And she was horrified. And I thought, well, I'm just, I'm socializing her to this. I'm just saying, get, you know, get over it and get out there. And uh, she came right out of the lake and um, was not happy. <laughs> Literally flooding her, yes. Yes, literally flooding her. And the unintended consequence of that interaction was that now not only was she skittish around the water, she was skittish around me Mm. because I had pushed her too hard and I hadn't read the signals that she was not ready for that level, that she was going at her own pace and that um, I had pushed her too far. Now, I realized I made a mistake and thereafter left her completely alone when we went to the lake, just ignored her. And after about another three or four weeks, she simply one day jumped in and started swimming all by herself. Uh-huh. So I just, I just was pushing her too hard. I wasn't reading her signs that she wasn't ready. And after she, when she was ready, she just did it. Okay, are there certain ages that we hear about the early socialization periods and is there a time, a cutoff when, whoops, you missed the boat, the window has closed, you can't socialize anymore? Not necessarily, but there are times when the window is wide open and times when it's closed down a bit, but I would never say that it's slammed shut. When a puppy is young and... um ready to uh, receive new experiences and just they're sort of an open book when it comes to training and um, uh, working with their owner. That's a great time to socialize uh, a pup. You can really get a lot of good work done and build a relationship quickly with a young dog who's open to these experiences. With an older dog, when they may have some uh, history of of, um, uh, poor social skills, uh, it may take a little bit more work on the owner's part to bring out the dog, and the dog may never blossom into a fully socialized, take-anywhere kind of dog that you might want, but may, well, will certainly improve. So I would say that it's never too late. It's, it's never too late. You can always improve your dog's um, social skills by working with them. Okay, something I read in your book, and frankly, it's the first time I had read this, which is surprising now when I look back, but you mentioned the rule of sevens. What are the rule of sevens? The rule of seven comes from a human psychology, and it just points out that there is a point where um, too much information becomes useless and it's not doing its job. So the rule of seven, there is a lot of uh, thinking among human psychiatrists, psychologists about the fact that seven is some sort of a number that the mammalian brain can 
take seven repetitions of a of a particular or seven pieces of new information and digest it thoroughly and incorporate it into their brains thoroughly. But once you get more than that, it starts to lose its effectiveness. So my reason for mentioning that in the book, and dogs have mammalian brains, they're mammals just like we are, is that there is a point at which you can, you can just be flooding them, and that was a good word that you used earlier, flooding them with too much information. That's what you have to look out for is this uh, point at which your dog is receiving information, they're open to the information, they can process it, it's not too much information, but when you go past the point when you've had seven repetitions of new information, your dog starts to maybe look glazed over a little bit or uh, a little bit tired or you can see some body language from your dog that you're just going too fast. That's a good time to read that reaction from your dog and to just back off and say, that's enough for today. What I was trying to do is caution owners that you can do too little socialization and you can do too much too fast. So try to find that point where your dog is learning, open to the experience, and hasn't become flooded out, tired, and the learning has pretty much ceased. Okay. Putting it in another way of looking at it, uh, for instance, from my viewpoint, as somebody who absolutely loves M&Ms, you know, five M&Ms are great, 20 M&Ms are even better, 50, right. I'm on overload. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, you can't appreciate them anymore. So, right. Right. you know, a few taste good, a few more are better, but if you give them too much to deal with, it doesn't taste good anymore and they just can't appreciate it. Right, exactly. So you try to stay up to your 20 M&Ms and then you stop and kind of enjoy those and then the next time you go back, you're up for 20 again and it's going to be a good experience. That's and pick out the red M&Ms because that's right. those really make you think. That's right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what about generalizations? You talk about dogs and generalizing. And I know when I'm training my dog or training my cat and or, or doing consulting work, this is something a lot of people don't understand. Well, it only happened once and from then on... You know, the, the person that comes, if he's wearing a hat, the dog does not like him because he had one bad experience. Right. Well, dogs can, um, can create superstitions, is what I like to call them, about people or events that, um, that have an emotional impact on them, like seeing a person with a hat and something disturbing happened during that interaction. So they develop a superstition about people in hats. Certainly, my dog, Stormy, developed a superstition about water for a short time, but she luckily did get over it eventually. Generalization is a dog's ability to take the training and behavior that they have learned and then use it in a lot of different settings and environments. And that's not as easy for a dog to do as it is for a human to do, for instance. Dogs are very specific uh, in their um, uh, performance of behaviors to the environment. So that's why we try to get our dogs out to many environments. Um, but Dogs are good at doing that when it's something important to the dog. And I give the example in my book that um, my dogs eat dinner every night in the kitchen, but when we go to a motel room and I put my dog's dinner down, a motel that they've never been in before, they certainly eat their dinner. They don't look at me and say, I'm sorry, I haven't generalized that behavior. I'm not eating my dinner in a motel because I only eat it in the kitchen. You know, if it's important to them, they will generalize it. Now, sometimes sit and stay They'll do it, but it hasn't become important to them yet. It hasn't reached that level of importance that they will generalize it to any environment. And so that's why I like to, um, for owners to understand that when you work these programs and it becomes a positive, rewards-based training experience for your dog, it 
raises itself in importance, behaving according to, the, to your instructions, becomes more and more important, as important as dinner in the dog's eyes. And so they are more likely to be able to offer those behaviors in unfamiliar environments or places. You offer a really terrific acronym in the book, too. And I, I love acronyms. They just really help <laughs> you remember things. You talk about SOAP. In socialization. Now, you're not talking, you're not referring to a doggy bath. So tell no, people I'm not. <laughs> what is SOAP and how does that refer to socialization training and, and getting dogs uh, out and about in a correct way? Well, I use the acronym SOAP to remind people of all the different kinds of social events that um, they need to expose their dogs to in order to make them a well rounded, socially skilled companion dog. The S stands for settings, and that's different environments, places. Uh, taking your dog to different places, so the S is settings. The O is objects, uh, making sure that you expose your dog to all kinds of different objects that they will see in their life. In my case, it's agility equipment, it's the car, it's lawn equipment, it's a boat because I do have a boat and my dogs will be on it, all the different objects that might um, that your dog will be asked to just um, handle and, and know is familiar objects. Uh, animals, the A is for animals, uh, not to forget to socialize your dog to other dogs, to animals such as cats or birds if you have other pets in the house, and maintain their social skills in politely greeting another friendly dog, that kind of thing. And, of course, people, S-O-A-P, it, P is for people, different types of unfamiliar people, men, women, children, men with heavy coats and big hats, women with a lot of perfume and high heels, children with ice cream on their hands, um, all kinds of different people that they might come in contact with in their life as your companion. So I wanted to remind the readers to expand their socialization program to include all of those different elements. What's the most important takeaway information you want readers to get from this book? And the title again is A Dog Who's Always Welcome. Well, the most important uh, thought I would like to leave the readers with is that there are a set of skills called, that, which I refer to as social skills or emotional skills, which don't have the, that are a, a bit under addressed in, in the dog training community. And they're in addition to behavioral skills, where there are a lot of resources and a lot of information on how to teach behaviors, but not social skills. So what I wanted to leave my readers with is an understanding that the social skills are of equal importance. As a matter of fact, they form the foundation for good behavioral skills training. And I wanted to lay out a particular step-by-step plan for attaining those skills, just like so many DVDs and TV shows and books and things lay out a particular plan for teaching behavioral skills. I wanted to provide that same level of information about social skills uh, for dogs that are, is already readily available regarding behavioral skills. So where can people find your book? Uh, my book is available online at most of the uh, major retailers in stores, uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon.com, DogWise, Borders, uh, both online and in the retail stores. Great. And again, the title of the book is A Dog Who's Always Welcome. Assistance and therapy dog trainers teach you how to socialize and train your companion dog. This is from Howell Bookhouse. And I tell you what, folks, listeners, if your dog needs the training or maybe your brother-in-law's dog is driving you nuts, get him a copy of this book 
and give it as a gift. We've got gift giving season coming up. So this could be instead of complaining, just give them a book and say, here's what you need. (laughs) We are out of time, but I would like to thank my guest, Lori Long, and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. Please tune in next week to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio to hear more about what hisses you off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. I would also like to invite you to check out my free behavior and care tips newsletter uh, called Pet Peeves, available from Shujai.com. Woofs and wags until next time. We love our pets too much to leave them at home. So don't just howl about rude dogs. Do something about it. Teach them well, and they'll be welcomed everywhere. After all, when we're visiting with our dogs, you don't want the other folks to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.